You're listening to Draft Chaff. Coming up this week. COVID's rack of the brain. Most delicious vegetables you can find, I guess. But um, Vegetables that tap for two mana and cost zero. I, I do like those. I don't know. It looks like it'd be pretty cool to ride around. I'm sure it could run pretty fast. Those antlers are probably pretty sturdy. So, I don't know, build a house up there, have it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Giraffe Chaff. This is episode number 184. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not a lot. Uh, It's been a good holiday break so far. I heard you got the best Christmas gift of all, (laughs) COVID-19. I I did. I did. And actually, it came early. So, you know, it uh, got got to open that present before Christmas, even. Look... Sometimes, Sometimes that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry that that happened. It's it's a unfortunate timing. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's funny because it's one of those things. Well, I'll talk about this a bit more in the, the Teferi Tibble, but you know, you go three years without it and you think, you think you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this week is our holiday mailbag episode, our third annual holiday mailbag. Before we jump into that and answer all of your questions, of course, our usual housekeeping. Do check out the Discord if you're not already in there. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Come say hi to us, chat about your trophies, discuss what's the picks and any other kind of nonsense that we've got going on. We've got a ton of channels in there, um, all very well organized, if I say so myself. <laughs> you, you didn't make those channels, did you? Definitely like the not. custom um, emojis and all that? And, yeah. No, it couldn't have been me. But we do have them there. Of course, our bounty boards are still going for LCI if you're still playing that format. And um, <laughs> brutal. <laughs> and uh, we've got a handful of other different, really cool, kind of unique aspects to the Discord. So check that out if you're not already in there. We've had a few folks, again, I think I mentioned this last week, but even still, we're getting folks who've been longtime listeners of the show jumping in there. That's more the and more recently so it's really yeah it's really awesome to see so if you're still holding out jump in there we'd love to see you the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page and if you'd like to support the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod huge huge thanks to each and every one of you who continue to support us uh we're doing this because of you uh, i don't think any of us would have held on this long <laughs> if uh if we Man, didn't have your support so covid's racking with your brain you know what i think it is maybe uh maybe some people are, are longtime listeners and they think you know what maybe this is the episode i'll stop listening maybe maybe this one's going to be so bad <laughs> that this is the one where i give up and uh they just they just for whatever reason push through and and those those listeners are maybe more valiant than any of us know <laughs> <laughs> that's it um I will say, too, for our patrons who backed us in the relaunch of the Patreon, the pins are in. We have them in hand. Ooh. And, yeah, Ben didn't know that. I don't know um, that. That's cool. How they look. We do have them in hand. They look great. Um, just really, really cool. Oh, wow. And You have it literally uh, in hand. Fantastic. Yes, I have one in hand. If you're watching on Spotify or YouTube, you will see a physical copy. Of oh, it's them. like translucent. So, and, oh, that, that, that came out yeah, perfect. They look great. Look out for those in the mail. We'll be communicating about estimated delivery times and such on those on the Patreon feed, but just wanted to let you all know those are in hand, so you should be expecting them soon. And of course, our if you didn't back us during the relaunch period, there are tons of other cool perks that you can still get your hands on. Things like our custom Draft Chaff Hero stickers. If you haven't seen that adorable It's Kinth sticker, so uh, go check that out because it's it's really incredible. And uh, our Draft Chaff, Draft Chaff Cube drafts, 
We're also working towards funding the bounty boards even more than they already are. So all these different things that you can check out over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash draft chef pod. All right. Uh, onto our crack draft type thing. What do you have for us today, Ben? I've got a holiday cube pick here for you. This is actually a pack two pick one. Pack one went pretty well. Uh, I've got some, some solid stuff. Nothing, uh, no power technically yet, uh, but I have a wheel of fortune. That's kind of like a, it's kind of like power, uh, and 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 a good blue red shell around it. Third path iconoclast. Uh, I have flash, which is a great build around if you can get some good stuff to flash in. Uh, thieving skydiver, fire ice, fiery confluence, to fairy hero of dominaria, uh, a wooded foothills, and a strip mine as my lands. So a good start to like a blue red artifacts package. I even have like a metal cyst in there and a talisman of creativity, the blue red one. So sort of like a blue red low to the ground artifacts. Third path iconoclast turns out a million artifacts. So something like Talarian Academy would be a high pick here. I've been watching a lot of LSV's draft videos for Vintage Cube. Uh, Talarian Academy is, is gone way up in my pick order as well. So sometimes you open up a pack and you're like, wow, there's like 15 different cards I want to take out of this pack. Here, it's more closer to three or four, but... Uh, that there's a bunch of junk in this pack we're not going to play. Guardian Scale Lord, I mean, Dismember is, is actually a consideration here, uh, even though it's kind of off-color, but Dismember is a, a valid pickup out of this pack. Uh, Urza Lord High Artificer, Archon of Cruelty to work with Flash, uh, a Mana Crypt, which is, you know, one of the top 15 cards in cube. No one would argue with that, maybe even 10. Uh, and Ulamog, the Infinite Gyre. So that doesn't work with Flash, but there's a sneak attack in this pack. Uh, there's even a sail under the West, another wheel. Oh man, what do you take? There, there, there's so many good options. Vintage Cube, it's like a buffet. There's sometimes there's just too many good options. Yeah, this pack, I think for me personally, I'm between Mana Crypt and Urza. You could go for the sneak attack and hope to pick up something really big later that you can take, like maybe the Ulamog or mm-hmm. you know some something similar. I don't know if Emmy was seen in the first pack. Uh, I assume... You might have taken her if you, if she was, but I think this could just be an eat your vegetables pick. Take the mana crypt, which doesn't, I mean, they're the del- most delicious vegetables you can find, I guess, but, um, vegetables that tap for two mana and cost zero. I, I do like those. Right. I like the, I think it just sets you up well for, you know, a foundational element to your deck. And then you can kind of pick up more as it comes along. I think, you know, we talk a lot about lands being high picks in, in cube and just trying to take things that aren't super replaceable mana rocks are pretty replaceable but zero mana mana rocks not so much mm-hmm. and you can probably find some other value engine like urza elsewhere in the in the draft sneak attack not super replaceable they're they're really it's like sneak and and through the breach are kind of the only two cards that really do that thing mm-hmm. but this doesn't necessarily feel like a sneak attack deck just yet yeah it's kind of off vector we right? could be getting there yeah same with Ulamog. Like, you don't really want the Ulamog without a way to sneak it in. Yeah. <laughs> and the Archon with Flash thing is cute, but I think you're better off taking something a little tighter at this point. Yeah. Plus, it's off color, and, like, I'm not really in a reanimator right. shell. It's good to flash in the Archon, but reanimating it and, and actually getting the stick on the battlefield is where a lot of the value comes from. Ulamog, right. I do actually like with another thing besides just sneak, and that's if you can get infinite mana. Uh, there's a couple mm. ways to do it. If you can get either Kin and Bonder Prodigy or uh, Zerda the Dawnwaker, the companion, uh, those both sort of do the same thing with the mana rocks that tap for three and then untap for three or four. Uh, they can get you infinite mana that way uh, by making the mm-hmm. untap ability cost less or making the tap ability add extra thanks to Kinnon or 
costs less thanks to Zerda. Uh, anyway, so you, you can get infinite mana in a couple ways, infinite colorless in this cube, uh, plus just like channel or something. But we're pretty far away from all those. I don't have Zerda or Kinnon or even one of those types of uh, mana rocks yet. So uh, I, I think right. it, it, it is a, a mana crit pickup here. Uh, and then after that, I think Urza, then Sneak. Maybe Dismember, though. It, it's good having a one mana minus five minus five in a deck like this that, that sometimes doesn't i mean like a blue red deck like this could struggle to deal with a creature that's been resolved something like a questing beast would be a big problem for this deck uh you can't really yeah. block it and uh your counter spells don't do anything and lightning bolt doesn't kill it so oh i guess you're just dead i guess teferi kind of deals with it but now here mana crypt is a great pickup it works well with the third path iconoclast extra artifact from mox opal which i have in my pool already but it is a bummer to have to pass such other good cards like urza sneak dismember now yeah. i will say with mana crypt uh it's actually better for me than it is for most people because i never lose the coin flip <laughs> hmm. <laughs> i've i've simply never lost a coin flip i i, hmm. I think if you read the numbers i probably win like 70 percent of my coin flips because tails never fails uh, anyway, how about we jump into our main topic before, before Zach starts crunching numbers? <laughs> Let's do it. So if you haven't been listening to the show for longer than a year, you may not know we do this, but we do an annual holiday mailbag episode. That's this. All these questions were delivered to us via the Discord, so you can hop in there again if you want to be in on it next year. And we occasionally do mailbags throughout the year as well, so it's a good place to be for those but we had these these questions picked out. We're going to try to get through as many as we can. We definitely have more than I think either of us are expecting <laughs> we'll be able to get through. Yeah. But we'll do our best. So without further ado, our first question here comes from Nathan. The question is, what is a holiday movie that you watched for the first time this year? And or what is a popular holiday movie that you have yet to see? So really two questions in one here. But thanks for the question, Nathan. Great question. I actually have a good one for this. I just watched... Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the first time. For the first time? For the first time, yeah. I don't know how oh, I missed that's it. that's a great one. I Maybe maybe I missed out on some of the nostalgia factor. I thought it was fine. I I, I thought it was funny for sure. But I guess I maybe it just didn't hit the same way. <laughs> I know yeah, some people think, adore it. I, I think it's funny. I don't think it's like a cinematic masterpiece. No, no, but like that's that. not the point, right? That's but not what I would rather watch that than Elf. Ooh, and I ooh. feel like Elf is like the big, you know, everybody wants to see Elf. It's just the most overplayed movie in history. I'm, I'm an Elf hater. I'll say that. Uh, it's fine. I'll always watch it. But like the question right. is between the two of them, because they occupy a very similar <laughs> space, right. you know, th- uh, what they're trying to do. I think I would want to like see. very campy Christmas like. Yeah. Like I think I'd prefer National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation a second time. Yeah, over, I like, agree. Yeah, that, that that that's a good one though. Let us know in Discord what you think of this. Maybe we're starting some riots. I don't I don't know <laughs> if, if uh, people are going to be too keen on this, but yeah, um, it, it was fine. It lived up to the hype, I guess. Um, I just know. love the scene with the turkey like opening up. It's just like bone dry. <laughs> that, was, that, like, that that was that, a good. That's uh, pretty great. It, this one, it certainly had some. Um, some elements of cinema you don't really see anymore. Where like, h- how many movies will have a, a cat? get electrocuted and then just like burn into the carpet <laughs> that's but with like practical <laughs> effects doing it too right that's uh that, right. That, that that's charming in a way that you don't really see that much of anymore uh, plus it's all like on a on a real set you know that's refreshing too mm-hmm. yeah and i think it captures the amalgamation of everybody's families like 
Yeah. So everybody's yeah. represented there. Every type of family member is represented. There. The annoying child, the annoying grandparent, <laughs> the, the annoying uncle that won't shut up. Everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does capture it pretty well. How about you? Uh, what, what was, uh, what, what's on your to see list? Yeah. We, so in terms of like what we watched for the first time this year, I didn't actually really watch any Christmas movies. Um, bah humbug. Well, so here's the thing. My dad thought it would be great to get rid of his internet entirely like two months ago. And so like huh. we couldn't use streaming services of any kind because he doesn't have any internet connectivity. Huh. So he pulled out like an old DVD player. Remember those things? Ancient technology no. from the <laughs> mid 2000s. Um, and he actually, what we watched was a, a homemade video that his cousin made of like, his mom's family basically huh. so my dad's like a four-year-old or a three-year-old in the videos and it's just like a mashup of all these different family christmas movie uh, videos that i think this does actually count as a holiday movie that you watch for the first time this year in fact this is so exclusive i'm not sure anyone's ever seen this before it's true nobody listening has seen this i can guarantee <laughs> that um and, and if they have <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> question marks lots of question marks yeah that that was pretty much it one movie that popular holiday movie and i'm about to make people angry here but on every side of the fence one popular holiday movie i have yet to see is die hard so whether you think oh. that's a holiday movie or not i have not watched it so. i haven't actually either <laughs> so <laughs> i'm just gonna enrage everyone uh I, I would watch it again on the merit of whether or not it is a Christmas movie. Uh, is The Shining a Christmas movie? That takes place kind of around the holidays, right? Well, the Die Hard thing wasn't because it was t it took place then. It's because it was released then. Oh, interesting. Well, then I guess on a separate note, is <laughs> is The Shining a holiday movie? It, it, there's a lot of snow. It's very wintry. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm, there's a... Well, yeah. I, 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 the Shining, it's not even worth talking about in the slightest. It, just like the very notion that you could potentially spoil an aspect of it for someone that hadn't seen it is is cause enough alone to not say a word. All right. Well, with that, let's just move <laughs> on to the next question. So uh, Dorgan asks, your podcast app has a glitch and you get a week's worth of podcasts all at once. Which one do you listen to first? Thanks, Dorgan. Great question. I think I fire up Draft Chaff. That's right. I, there's That's this little podcast called Draft Chaff. Uh, I do listen back to our episodes because I love hearing Zach's funny edits. But um, uh, no, that, that wouldn't be what I listen to first. I usually turn it off partway through too because I can't stand the sound of my own voice for too long. But I think everyone is everyone's that way. Uh, honestly, LR is always a, a mainstay. But you know, the Always Sunny podcast hasn't hasn't gone up in a in a long time. That probably would be my <laughs> my instant go to. Let me see. Well, it hasn't been up since July. Man, I guess they just kind of put a pause on it. Maybe they were touring and couldn't do it. But I, I really enjoyed listening to the Always Sunny podcast. I'm a big fan of that show. And uh, they, they kind of were doing like a, a watch along of every single episode, like talking about all the cool behind the scenes and little details you might not have noticed. And uh, as, as a big fan of the show, that's I, I, I eat it up. So if 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 I got... I guess I don't know who who knows how many months or years until they release another episode. But if one of those episodes went up, I would I would listen instantly. You? Yeah, I suppose it would depend on my mood. Um, but I I have a big backlog of podcasts that I just haven't listened to. I listen to a lot of like business, finance, and like writing podcasts. So there are typically ones that I want to like sit and take notes to. 
I don't just like listen to them for entertainment value. So I, yeah, it would kind of depend on my mood, but probably it would be an episode of the deep dive with Ali Abdel. I don't know what that is, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he just gets like really interesting people on and talks about how they started businesses and Hmm. how they're successful and what they recommend. uh, Like just, yeah, kind of their story on how they got to where they are. Cool. Next up, we've got a two-parter from Dan Consiglio who asks, Ben, what's your favorite lesson to teach your students? And Zach, you've mentioned your family's cooking before. What's a dish that feels unique to your family holiday tradition? Ooh. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Zach, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, so my family's cooking, most people don't know this about me, but my mother is Brazilian. So she moved here when she was three, moved to the States, that is, when she was three. Um, So we have a lot of like Brazilian dishes that... uh, come through on on family holidays i would say bacalao is probably one of the more popular christmas dishes for the brazilians but it's not one that i've liked and so it's and it's popular so maybe not unique to my family um one that i that i absolutely love that has become more popular but wasn't when i was growing up is corn souffle which is like Hmm. also called corn casserole i've seen some people call it that but it's it you can think cornbread but it's more of like an a, a cheese souffle texture so it's kind hmm. of like more wet than dry but it holds its shape it's not like a like a liquid and it's kind of sweet but also savory it's it's delicious one of my favorites cool a favorite lesson to teach my students I, this is actually a very easy one uh it's either okay so maybe if i have to pick it's not easy but i have to uh it's either my lesson that i do exactly halfway through the year or the lesson that i do on the last day of school and these are nonsense days. Uh, halfway through the year, we have midterms. Uh, and then there's like a, a single day where it's sort of like a break. And you just go to all your teachers. Some of them start the next unit. Some of them just kind of let you rest. Uh, I choose to use that day teaching them why all of Newtonian physics is wrong, <laughs> which <laughs> sometimes they get really mad about. Uh, and I usually lead them in with a story about like, well, imagine there was a famous painter and she she has tons of works hung all over the world in museums, but then she goes on hiatus for 10 years and uh, she comes out with new work after 10 years and um, people are like, oh, well, these new ones are actually way better, but we still like the old ones too. Like, And, and these are easy for people to, to learn and, and uh, maybe try to, to recreate on their own, whereas the new paintings are so far advanced that no one could hope to replicate them. Uh, I would argue that both paintings have value and students usually agree with that. And that's usually when I tell them, all right, well, all Newtonian physics is, is actually pretty easily disprovable. And, uh, we, we run through some equivalence principle stuff and, and some of Einstein's thought experiments. Uh, and it's pretty cool to introduce them to general relativity. Uh, just the idea that Gravity isn't really actually a force. It's it's more just like a thing that happens uh, based on matter curving space time and then space time affecting matter. It, it's it's a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> there's some good minute physics and uh, type videos, and, and Veritasium has a good one about gravity not being a force too. If you're interested, I recommend checking those out. Uh, students usually like those, and then on the last day of school, uh, I get to kind of sum up the entire year and get their final thoughts and uh, they get to kind of see that everything that they've learned this year was not just to teach them physics, but was also to help them live better lives. Like all the examples that I use are how to stay safe during a thunderstorm, uh, how to get better at your instrument using physics, how to, uh, I don't know, 
what else do I do? How to stay safe uh, while driving a car based on traveling distance. Everything is oriented around like improving their lives. And it's usually nice to see some of them. It finally clicks on the last day that, oh, yeah, he was actually using all examples that make our lives better. Some of them uh, that maybe have been holdouts that physics isn't worth it for them. That's usually when I when I finally get them. So that that's always nice to see. And then you end the year and end that lesson by shilling your podcasts because they're no longer going to be your students. And so they can listen to it. Right? Well, the funny thing was, uh, one of my students this year, uh, <laughs> just raised his hand and was asking, he was like, Hey, Mr. Fisher, do you have a podcast? And I kind of like, I froze in my place and I turned and I was like, why do you ask? And he goes, <laughs> I, I just didn't give the voice for it. And he like clearly had no idea about chat chat. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, moving on. <laughs> so my, my kids oh, found it last that. year. It's uh, it's for the best that they don't have all this ammo against me. Uh, they, they, mm-hmm. they would, they would make like voice clips of, they, they, you know, that like, like a serial killer cutting out letters from a magazine. They yep. would do that with my audio clips and just like make me say ridiculous things. So it's for the best that they're not aware of this vast, uh, resource of, of Fisher saying things clips. I hate to break it to you, but they don't need to Frankenstein stitch together audio clips <laughs> to make you say ridiculous things. Yeah, they could just they could just go to a random spot in an episode, and <laughs> they got a pretty good chance. <laughs> Problem is, they won't know the context of it being ridiculous. All right, we got a good question from Atafia here. The Magic the Gathering podcast money starts rolling in, and you can quit your day jobs. Look, we're very thankful for all our patrons, but we're, we're pretty far away from that. <laughs> uh, what's your new hobby now that being baller and magic is your full-time job? So if magic became full-time, what would our hobby be? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot here. Um, I think it's interesting because the implication there is that you can't, your job can't be a hobby. Um, hmm. I think that's generally true when you attach money to something or like sustainability in terms of like, I'm sustaining my life through this thing. Yeah. There's too much pressure for it to actually be a hobby for me. Um, I tend to rotate hobbies pretty often anyway, and you may be able to tell that by, you know, the sets that come through and I'm just like, I am basically not drafting at all this season. Um, but I've wanted to get back into painting miniatures. I used to paint wargaming miniatures. I never really played the game, but I, I would paint them and I found that very fun. Typically I need some kind of creative outlet uh, that might be writing, that might be, yeah, painting models. And sometimes magic is that, and generally making the podcast is kind of that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that would also replace, because magic's a strategy game, it would replace some of that. But if I'm doing that extensively, because I think if this were to be a full-time job and we were making that kind of money on it, we would have to be putting a lot more time into it than we do now. Yeah. Even though we do put a ton of time into it at the moment. We'd have to be streamers, you know. Right, basically. Uh, so I don't know that I would want another strategy game in my repertoire. I think my brain would need the break. So probably something creative. Yeah. And I, you know, I play disc golf and like stuff like that. So I might just enhance some of the hobbies I have and put more time into them. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would go with amateur astronomy. Uh, I've got a pretty mm. good telescope now. Um, I've been, you know, I I know how to do the astrophysics. It's pretty trivial to do the science once you have the data. The hard part is getting the data. But there are amateur astronomers out there. Um, I was looking into like recording transit data for a student actually who wanted to do this for a project. Uh, 
I would need a, a bit of a better telescope than I have now, but there are amateur astronomers out there who can record exoplanet transit data and then just do the calculations to make some, you know, estimates of the size, uh, density of the planet, its orbital radius, that type of thing. That stuff sounds really cool. Uh, or even just like astrophotography. I know uh, my brother's pretty into photography. He's he's wanted me to get like a a proper... I don't even know what you call it, like adapter uh, so that you could attach uh, like a good DSLR to my reflecting telescope, probably get some good pictures of local planets or the moon for sure. Uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe getting into that would be pretty cool. Uh, it's something I want to have time for eventually and something that I've, I have my whole life to do. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to know less astronomy as I, as I go throughout my life. So that, that's something that'll just kind of build up. And uh, I guess if I if maybe was streaming during the daytime, then I'd do that at night. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. So next up, our question from Calcifer is, do you own physical magic cards? Approximately how many, if so, and how do you organize them? Yeah. Uh, I own a lot less than I used to. And uh, mm-hmm. I do own a lot of decks. I think I have like 10 commander decks. I've got my modern deck, a couple standard decks here and there. And then a, maybe like four or five just kind of casual like $2 kitchen table decks that uh, are just good to play with friends. I have a ton of decks, but I have been mostly offloading my bulk, either selling random stuff that I'm not using, like in a commander deck, or uh, bringing it to school, where I now have my my school club, which is going to be starting up in the new year. Uh, we're working with Magic Kids. We're getting a big shipment from them of, of deck boxes and sleeves. Very excited for that. And uh, any old chaff that I, that I would that I'd like used to keep around just like in a box or something. I now just bring right to school and we have like four or five boxes. Uh, actually, Ratafia gave me a pretty big donation of cards, uh, uh, from his own personal collection. And there's probably like 10,000 cards or so, uh, which a couple of the teachers and I have been organizing by color and also by casting costs a little bit here and there. Um, been finding some, some good gems in there that the students are going to love, uh, Thankfully, Ratafia had a, had a bunch of like, you know, good build arounds, good uh, like vector signpost type cards from drafting a bunch. So, uh, I, I would say my current <laughs> my current physical collection is either the decks that I own, and then everything else has mostly gone to school. I, I do keep a couple like you know, I have my trade binder and and any good mythics or rares that you know I, I'm not playing right now, but I think I might want in the future. I do hold on to those, and of course, I do own. Well, I, I do happen to have a, uh, a, a human foil soul ring from uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, serialized set. That's that, that's a pretty significant physical card to own, I think. Yeah, it probably eclipses the value of the rest of your collection. It, it might, Maybe it might. Quite. Honestly, hard to say. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty cool. I also similarly have dumped most of my like ancillary collection by way of Ben. <laughs> um, I think that was at your last school, but yeah, I, I think I, I offloaded pretty much all of my cards that weren't index or in a binder. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to keep bulk and I'm also an essentialist. So I, if it's not serving a real purpose for me, I don't want it. And uh, all of my bulk is that. So I don't really yeah. keep bulk. I often will leave my cards behind at, at events. Um, I do have two binders, one for cards that are worth more than $5 and one for cards that is worth more than $1, between one and five. And um, beyond that, I have, 
I've even started getting rid of a bunch of my commander decks because I just don't play it enough. I have like maybe three that are built right now. And I have a modern deck and my draft kit, and that's it. You know, uh, we were going to play Commander this week, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ben canceled on me. <laughs> Someone had to go and uh, get the novel coronavirus, so uh, I don't know. Don't, don't blame me. I don't think coronavirus can read. Why oh, it, my God. Why does it have novels? All right, next. <laughs> uh, Koga's got a good question for us. Uh, saying it's always interesting to hear about Ben's teaching. Thank you, Kogan. Uh, Zach, what is your day job like? What's something you really like about it? Something most people wouldn't know about it? What do, what do you do again for the people? So it's funny because anytime I'm asked what I do, I have a hard time explaining because even a lot of people in my field don't really know what we do. <laughs> um, but my title has been DevOps engineer, which is essentially, which is short for development operations. Essentially, it is building and maintaining all of the infrastructure that supports software. So that might be like a code pipeline that gets code from like a developer writing it out to users in some usable fashion, a bunch of security stuff in the middle and automation that runs to make that happen seamlessly. Uh, for example, a company like Netflix puts out, I believe last count I heard was over a thousand production deployments a day. Hmm which is a lot. Most companies are not even deploying production to production once a week, let alone once a day. So a thousand times a day is a lot. Um, they do that with automation and DevOps engineers support that automation, build that automation, design it, all that stuff. So that is a big part of what I've done. Um, I'm also solutions architect. So beyond just building the stuff, designing and architecting out what the full end-to-end -end solution looks like from an infrastructure perspective is part of my job as well. Uh, but I consult, or I have consulted for the last three years, so what I'm actually doing day-to-day -day changes based on the client and what the client needs and things like that. Um, something I really like about it, I essentially when, when I'm talking to people who don't know tech at all, so I gave you guys a, a larger explanation than I give most people. Most people, I just tell them I solve puzzles for a living, which is a bit uh, derivative, I suppose, but it's, mm -hmm. it's true. Sounds and pretty so, accurate. Yeah, I mean, it, it is basically what I do. Um, that's something I really enjoy. I like puzzles and I like having problems to solve and, you know, coming up with unique ways to do that. Um, but I think most of the job is stuff people wouldn't know about it. So <laughs> um, I'll leave it at that, I suppose. All right, our next question comes from Ratafia, who asks, if you could have an animal on a magic card as a pet, which card would it be? Any animal on any magic card. All right, now... This is tough because this would include an animal shown on like a sorcery, not just creature type ones. Right. right? Exactly. Uh, I almost feel like that would take too long to comb through literally everything. Uh, there's some nice like bird token art that with like little doves on it. Those would be kind of cool. But I think I'm going to go big here. Uh, my runner up is the Gitrog monster because apparently you can ride it. <laughs> I know this thanks is to Is the Thalia. Gitrog monster an animal? I, I suppose it is. I suppose it is. I it is it's a horror, more of like a it's it, frog, but it's like it's a frog, frog horror. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe I count it. That is the runner up. Uh, I'm gonna go with Giganta the Wellspring as my as my true pick because uh, it's it's a like 50 foot tall elemental elk that fixes for any color of mana. And it's a companion, so you know it's friendly. <laughs> like, uh, I, I think. 
it, it has a little bit of everything, but it's mainly red green, but it also has a bit of everything with it. I don't know. It looks like it'd be pretty cool to ride around. I'm sure it could run pretty fast. Those antlers are probably pretty sturdy. So, I don't know, build a house up there, have it just kind of walk around like a house moving castle type of deal. Uh, I don't know. It could, could be cool. Uh, this this would be my 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 go-to, I think. Plus, it's an elemental. Where would so. you put it? Well, that's the thing. Because oh, it's so an you, elemental. You build your house on it. Yeah. I, I have a feeling it could like probably change its size or like shrink into a, turn into a fine mist or I don't know. It, it's a mm. five color elemental. It could probably do some pretty cool stuff. It, it, it's not really explained in the lore, but yeah. Plus, it's an I, elk. I don't think I ever realized how big it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are like the the Icoria crystals around deal. it. Yeah, and the yeah, yeah, things gigantic. Yeah, <laughs> gigantic. Even. Gi- yeah, gi- gigantha. <laughs> um, Boo. Yeah. Uh, so I had two that came to mind. Uh, the first for me was Empyrean Eagle, because if you've been a listener to the show for a while, you know I love birds, and I also love spirits as a uh, as a creature type. It's my, the deck I play in Modern. It's one of my favorite subtypes for creatures, if not my favorite. And so to kind of put the two in one, and then also just thinking about having a pet, like it's a spirit, so I don't have to deal about cleaning up after it. <laughs> I don't have to feed it. Probably doesn't eat. It, yeah, right. I don't. I wouldn't have to feed it. It wouldn't like make a mess of my living space. And I'm choosing to believe that it could make itself corporeal if it wanted to, mm-hmm. so such that like it. I could actually pet it and stuff. Well, I don't even know how big this thing is. I guess it looks pretty big in the art relative to the other are birds. Those, but yeah, those are like swallows. Even if those are swallows, yeah. this thing is this thing is it's probably eagle, pretty so big. So it's going to be pretty big. But yeah, I don't think it's any bigger than like a golden eagle we would see on earth, which are quite big. They have like 20 foot wingspans, but, um, yeah. And also the, the flavor text for it, all the birds of the skies are the spirits brood gathered for safety under its wings. So it's a protector. It's, you know, it, it, it cares for its own. And I think, uh, that would be useful. It would but probably, the uh, for me, it would probably eat your runner up. Yeah. The runner up for me, actually, I, this may, uh, Ben is only seeing the art, that I'm about to put on screen for you as well here. <laughs> the the card itself is not the runner-up. It's actually, so the card is Basking oh. Capybara, but the actual runner-up is the little Velociraptor bird guys. Oh. The Archaeop- Archaeopteryx bird guys that are in the art for this. Clever. I didn't think of this. The, 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 this makes sense though, yeah. You tell me that the Capybara isn't involved in your list at all. This would be top 10 for me. I don't care. I don't know. I couldn't. I would rather have the birds... Than, than a rodent, a gigantic rodent. Yeah, it's true. These things are probably messy. But it could live outdoors. And I mean, look, look at it. Not where <laughs> I live, it couldn't. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. No such thing as outdoors there. Although it'd be kind of funny to take one of these things for a walk in the city. <laughs> that would be pretty hilarious. Get some, get some good no, I'm sure I've seen weirder things in the city. Oh, I, I, this wouldn't even crack top 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure this would crack top 10 of things on a leash that I've seen in the city. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. Uh, up next from Mikey S. What are your favorite vintage cube archetypes? Thanks for the question, Mikey. I love vintage cubes. So uh, before I ramble, let's let Zach have a, have a chance to get a word in. Yeah, I don't play a ton of vintage cube. I know gasp, but uh, tisk, tisk. the the decks that I've seen the most of that, like the ones that I enjoy the most just have, watching them play out and the draft experience, probably blue white Cheons, and 
whatever like pseudo infinite mana blue artifact decks LSV puts together. <laughs> Have you been watching his uh, his daily drafts? No, not his recent ones, but I I usually will catch up with him like later on, and I've seen a bunch of his old ones, and yeah, they're all just phenomenal. Yeah, he he knows his stuff for sure. Uh, I would say, okay, so if I had to tier list these, I'm I'm not even sure I could. I think it's better if I just kind of mention a couple vectors that I that I like the most. By the way, we did make a Vintage Cube episode uh, titled How to Cheat in Vintage Cube. And all the Vintage Cube decks that I like the most are ones where you are cheating. Uh, I would say probably Mono White and Mono Red are my two favorites because I like just, you know, getting in there, smacking face. Those, I will say, with a piece of power, like just a good Mono White deck with a, with an, even an off-color Mox. Just that is great. And like a, an Armageddon, so you go like one drop into Thalia, into two drop, into... I don't know. Maybe they've killed Thalia at this point, and then you can Armageddon on four, or you top deck your ramp piece, and there's uh, something like that. Something that really just gets in quick. Uh, my my other favorite is one where you dump your entire hand on turn one, and, and then cast a Wheel of Fortune, or cast a Time Twister, uh, or like a High Tide deck where your mana is tapping for multiple, and then you untap it all with, uh, I don't know, like turnabout or uh frantic search any of these like time spiral any of these nonsense type of decks i really like something that you you might conventionally call storm but the storm decks these days don't really look like what they might have at one point it's not really about the ritual um like a dark ritual pyretic ritual those types of things and then like casting a past in flames and then a grape shot we've come a long way since then we have technology now it's more about uh like time uh, like uh Underworld Breach, Lion's Eye Diamond, and Brain Freeze. Something like putting together those combos or just, you know, drawing your whole deck and casting a Thassa's Oracle. Uh, so kind of the two big ends of the spectrum. Another one that I do like a lot is Lands. Uh, if you're able to get like an early Exploration or um, Fast Bond, and then you can just find a lot of ways to interact with Lands, like Strip Mine and uh, a lot of Fetch Lands. Omnath goes well in this type of deck. Uh, Renin Six. Yeah, th- these I would say are my favorites. Some of the other ones out there, like Reanimator, Reanimator's fun, it's fine, but it's not really unique to the Vintage Cube. Like, we have a very solid Reanimator vector in our cube. Um, it, it's not something yeah. that I go to seek out a unique experience there for. Uh, whereas something like Lands, uh, that really only exists in the Vintage Cube. That doesn't show up in like any other draft experience. So that's one that I, I, I value pretty highly. I'll take a fast bond, pack one, pick one over a lot of stuff. Yeah, and to be clear, the the artifacts, the blue artifacts decks I'm talking about are really the ones that are just like you have a bunch of rocks and upheaval, and that's like your whole win condition. Yeah, like Tolerant <laughs> Academy, or paradoxical right. outcome. Like, yeah, the, right. those those are a lot of fun. So our next question here comes from Dorigan, who asks, "What card not currently on Arena do you want included in Arena?" Ooh, they have uh, they've done a lot of good work recently with the Fetchlands. Uh, those would have been my my answer had they not been just added recently. Timeless has been a lot of fun. I've been playing some pretty good decks. I've been playing a, a Death and Taxes list with Thalia and uh, Orcish Bowmasters. It, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, hit Mythic with that deck actually, R- really strong. So I can no longer say the Fetchlands that they did eventually get around to it. And another one that I I would say. This is sort of cheating, but the Power Nine because they are on Arena. They're just not. Right. They're just not on Arena. I, I would love to see the Power Nine on there. Uh, 
so that we could do like an arena vintage cube because even mm-hmm. just with a lot of the cards we have on there now uh the like ragavan's on there boom you have a vintage cube tier red deck with just ragavan and a bunch of other nonsense like that that's all you really need uh so are the power nine currently on arena technically i guess we'll say no yeah i would say no you can't collect them and you there's no environment where you can like actually play with them regularly yeah uh i think it might be cool if some of the old alara sets were on arena so this is sort of like a a multi-card pack rather than a than a single card there are some cards from from Alara that uh, those are the draft sets that I've never experienced. I don't know if they're good or bad or anything in between, uh, but it seems like it'd be a cool experience. And we're kind of pushing back to that era, right, where we have some of the uh, the, the, the newer stuff, and we're just kind of getting older and older and older. I expect we'll never get like Alpha on Arena, but the Alara block does seem like a reasonable thing to have included on there someday, right? Yeah, I think so. It's interesting because I've read uh, a post recently that came from Maro, and he said basically the only reason that cons was added was because it was the first set they programmed into the game when they were building an alpha. Hmm. Interesting. So that was just the set they chose to start like testing with the game with before it was even playable by anybody outside of Watsi. Hmm. Uh, and so they mo- they mostly had it already done. And so it was a very short, very small lift to get it into the game. Just neither the one I don't server. know how much I believe that because I feel like it would have come out much sooner if that were actually the case. Yeah. I also get kind of confused with comments like that because when they first like announced Arena, they made a big deal about saying that the way they built the engine was such that adding new sets was largely trivial. I see they remember that too. Yeah. And now every yeah, it feels like every few sets they're like, this took some massive feat of programming to get in here. Um, it's because they keep making wacky cards and and alchemy designs. That's why <laughs> they're making cards with five sides to them. Yeah, well, and I mean the the last big one was like Emrakul, but uh, yeah, obviously Emrakul yeah. is like a an edge case, I guess. Anyway, I feel like we, Arena's gotten to a point now with the sets that they've added. Like we're pretty close to Pioneer. Like all like pioneer legal cards being yeah. on, and so I can't really think of an individual card that I wish was on Arena that isn't. Um, cruel Ultimatum, final answer. <laughs> is Cruel Ultimatum not on the game? No, and that's from Alara. Unless they added one of oh, these right. random. Yeah, it's the original Ultimatum. Like, yeah, Masters. I mean, they've done a good job, like adding a lot of these random historic anthologies and other anthologies that include some of the cards from modern Masters sets and even others. Um, like having Deathrite Shaman on there is awesome for Timeless. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, the fact that we can't think of <laughs> too many off the top of our heads, pretty good sign. Yeah, and I mean, that probably has something to do with the environments we play. Like as limited players, mm-hmm. like first and foremost, I don't really care what cards are available in the game to craft or like build decks with. As someone who does occasionally play Constructed, the formats that I play and the decks that I like to play pretty much are already there. Uh, maybe Aether Vial would be the oh, card yeah. I would want. Yeah, that makes sense for you. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise, um, like I'm pretty happy with where it's at, and I feel like unless you are big on like legacy or something, um, and before we can get four-player commander, I don't have a whole lot of requests. Next question is from Hulu. 
If you can ban cards in limited formats, which cards would you ban and why? Ooh, now this this we could take a couple ways. Is this like one in a specific format or uh, in general? I think we could probably answer both. Yeah, I think there are certain formats I can look at and be like that Dream Trawler. You should have been banned. <laughs> like, just get it out of here. We don't yeah. need it. Maybe Cure Best the Sea God as well, but maybe, maybe without both triplets. of them floating around. I feel like Gruff Triplets was manageable enough, but it could maybe. Yeah, that's definitely in the conversation. Um, I don't think anything from LCI feels bannable. I would I would probably ban one of the one-drop flyers. I, I think maybe I'd rather errata it. Uh, I think it would be a better format if there was slightly less hyper one-drop-ness. I like it. I, I like it this way, but it certainly turned a lot of people off. I think, if anything... I'm not sure I would ban Miner's Guidewing, but I think I'd make it cost two. <laughs> Maybe give it an extra toughness. Because um, then I think that'd be a pretty a pretty fair card. Uh, I, I think given the choice to either ban or not ban, I would ban it because it, it's just like, it's just a little too quick. Plus the blue white deck should be a little slower anyway. I think, I think maybe that white, man, it's hard to know where to press the levers. I mean, the, the people in R&D do a good job right. with this stuff. Yeah, I think, I mean, once you have played a format a ton of times and you have all this data that 17 lands gives us, I guess maybe you can look at a card and be like, eh, that probably should have been tweaked. Like, <laughs> that's they alchemy didn't, though, they didn't, right? That's what it's intended to be, yeah. But then they add like net new cards as well, which I which I have problems with. One thing that I think could be interesting, um, I can think of like types of cards. Obviously the like massive unbeatable bombs that do show up at rarities that they shouldn't be at. Again, Dream Trawler being the poster child for these um, mm-hmm. should should be able to be banned. I wonder if they could do, because banning in limited is weird, right? Because I guess, yeah, you could technically say nobody can play the card, but then it just be- becomes a last pick if it's ever opened. Yeah. And it feels like you just wasted a card in the pack. What maybe they could do is institute like a restricted list for limited where the cards that are on the list, you can only have maybe two copies of in your deck instead of four or one copy instead of four or five or whatever. Mm. Yeah. And that's Which pretty harmless. Doesn't feel like as, right. That doesn't feel like as big of a handicap because who's to say you'll even open more than one or get past more than one or yeah. whatever. It might just never affect you. Right. Whereas, but some decks, you know, the decks that have four or five miners guide wings. Yeah. It would, it would, artificially kind of pump the brakes a little bit they're less likely to have it Hmm. i think overall if the question was then instead if you could ban cards unlimited would you choose to as of right now i think no i i I think maybe (laughs) what we've seen with alchemy sets has kind of tried to toy with that and I'm not sure if there's data on this or not, but I just, those haven't done anything for me. And I think a lot of players feel the same. If those are great for you, then, you know, keep playing alchemy, but I I have zero interest in (laughs) playing something that doesn't match what's on paper. Yeah. And I think also like, I kind of appreciate the nostalgia is maybe not the right word, but I kind of appreciate the identity of a format. Mm -hmm. And like, we can look back and think about, Man, original Eldraine, what a nightmare, right? Like you can think about all these different reasons that like the aspects of that format that made it what it was. Yeah. And coming in in the middle of the format and making changes to it breaks that identity a little bit. So I I kind of like having it be insular and then they learn from their mistakes in terms of design and they go forward. The problem there is that the feedback loop 
for design is so long because mm-hmm. they're like already a year worth of set probably nowadays more than that ahead of where releases are so we won't actually get the feedback implemented until like a year after that format is done with so all right so next up our question comes from nathan who asks what if both had what if you both had to have the same hair length five years from now what length is it and what compromises had to be made oh there's going to be some compromises because uh (laughs) we have drastically different hair lengths right now (laughs) just about the opposite ends of the spectrum i mean mine's up right now but here like yeah ben's is about shoulder length maybe even a little longer than shoulder length mine is like a bald fade like super short cut uh (laughs) yeah all right Um, let's work this out where are we going so I don't think I could convince you to just like functionally shave your head. You absolutely cannot. <laughs> um, but I have had shoulder length hair before and I didn't, I mean like I wouldn't love it now cause it makes me look way younger. Also my hair long turns into like a bell curve. It just kind of like does this <laughs> thing. It looks like a bell curve. Hmm. Um, I would probably only be comfortable, like personally like happy looking at myself in the mirror if it was, only like marginally longer than it is now. Oh man. <laughs> not, not marginally longer. I would let it, I could let it grow, but I wouldn't want it to be like middle school me with the like really long hair that I had All right. back then. What about like, uh, Hmm. I'm trying to think of like a good, what about like Oscar Isaac and Dune? Like it's sort of like coming up a bit. It's got like a bit of a, a flip to it. I would do that. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Like, like that it's, it's got like, it has some volume because I, I think if we were to compromise, right. I, I could go for that. That's something that I've had yeah. before, but it is longer than you have now. So what is that? It's probably like three inches, maybe. Tough to say with how it's styled there, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. I, I think this is probably uh, here. We can, can we put this up on the, on the show? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, viewer, you can now see uh, hopefully what, what, what we're going for. I think this would be, this would be a good length. I think we could both agree on. Yeah. Honestly, I could maybe be comfortable with even Tim, Timothy Chalamet's hairstyle in Dune. Oh, I would prefer that. Let's do, let's do that. Instead. I would prefer put, put, put that up on the screen. <laughs> but I would, so given we have a five year timeline, right? Nathan said we have five years okay, yeah. to plan this out. So given that we have that much time, what I would probably suggest is I would grow it to like the Timothy Chalamet style in that, in dune see if i like it and if i don't we'd cut back to oscar isaac yeah okay okay i i accept these terms <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is five years this is purely theoretical this is not in practice right right this is a non-binding <laughs> <laughs> non-binding agreement we're making here right <laughs> Next question is from Augustine M. What does your dream draft pod look like? Is it a pod of friends, Magic Hall of Famers, and what's being drafted? Standard set, master set cube, and online or paper? Great question. I, I have some immediate thoughts. Yeah, I think we're going to have some similarities here. I, I think I actually have experienced this already. It's paper for sure. Uh, it's a cube of some kind. Uh, either Vintage Cube or Draft Shaft Cube, which I think is actually comparable and fun to Vintage Cube. Uh, 
and its friends. And and maybe maybe we could get we could sneak a Hall of Famer or two in there if we could somehow swing, you know, a couple of them. Maybe this is to add more context. Maybe it's happening at like a local game store. And we've just gotten a bunch of people and there happens to be a couple Hall of Famers in there who are like, oh, what are you guys drafting? We're like, oh, we need two more. Hop in. Uh, but we've come pretty close to this minus the Hall of Famers. Just like a bunch of friends have a whole Saturday blocked out, draft the cube. It's a great time. <laughs> Nothing else to it. Yeah, I mean, a pretty similar response for me. I definitely would be paper. It would be the draft draft cube and it would be a mix Sort of in that it would be me and you, Ben, of course, and two mutual friends. And then I would say Marshall, who has told us he considers himself a friend. That's true. And a few of his, like any, like three others that he would want to bring along. Oh, so it'd be what? Like LSV, Chion, and like Ben Sack or someone? Yeah, that's probably, that's kind of what I had in my head. Maybe Ryan Spain or, yeah. Yeah. That that'd be quite the pot, <laughs> and then you alternate. I'd lose uh, terribly, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we could do a team draft too. Uh, that wasn't the trouble. Yeah, I was thinking not team draft, but draft draft cube and a team draft would be interesting. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, team draft. Uh, well, that, that's sometimes better for like a three on three. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah, it's still usually not done with it. eight people. Yeah, we can uh, we, we can aim for that someday. <laughs> All right. So our next question here is from Mikey S. Mikey asks. If you guys could only own one constructed deck for the rest of your lives and the deck was non-transferable, e.g. can't be a vintage deck that you just cash out, what deck would it be? And Mikey says his is uh, Legacy Demir's, Demir Death's Shadow. Ooh. Okay, so I'm assuming this means you only play this format. Like this is your, your one and in constructed for the rest of your life. It would have to be, yeah. Now, are, am I allowed to make updates to the deck? Is like new things come out? Is the meta oh, good question? Yeah, that can lead down one of those, um, like <laughs> ship of Theseus. Is that where you're going with this? Right, exactly. Yeah, one of those lines of thoughts where is, is this actually the same deck anymore? Yeah, I mean, Legacy Demir Death Shadow certainly has changed. I mean, there's been new tech added to it. Uh, I, I, I have a feeling that you could update the deck itself and that it's just. Like you're picking one vector deck and you're sticking with that your whole life. Yeah, uh, the identity of that has to stay the same. Yeah. I would say, as of right now, I do love my Scamblade deck. And I think I could expand that into a Death in Taxes black white modern deck. Some sort of black white Stoneforge mystic uh, DT style deck. And I'll be honest, they're going to ban grief eventually. <laughs> like they, they, they have to. Uh, but until then, I'll keep playing it. And if that does eventually happen, I think I might transfer it into like a Thalia's, uh, I don't know, more like a Hate Bear style, uh, just good old DNT Hate Bear with, with, um, with Aether Vials and, and all that good stuff. Uh, so I, does that count? Can I, can I say that as one archetype? Right now, it's... it's um, scam but if eventually it turned into all right i've got it a black white stoneforge deck yeah i was gonna say i think you could either make it general enough that yeah like so for instance mikey said demir death shadow yeah okay okay. identity of that deck like it has to have blue and black cards and death shadow has to be in the 60 or in the 75 even okay because in that case i could say orzov stoneforge that yeah <laughs> that that, uh, that is an equivalent statement right yeah i think that would work um 
I I think I think though, even if you were to get more specific, a banning of a key card in the deck would would make sense that you would you would have to pivot. You just have to stay within a similar construct of the same of a of the deck. I mean, I have my four full art beautiful stone forges. I have all the the matching arts that go with it. You gave me one of those stone forges, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, those things are awesome and. I, I never want to part with that deck. It's it's just the coolest thing I own. Um, full stop. Yep. Easy choice for me. How about you? Yeah, less easy for me. I Originally reading this, I was thinking it would have to be Commander, some kind of Commander deck, because that's the format that most of the people I know who play in paper play. So like some play other, other formats, but not everybody plays the same constructed format except con- Commander. That's like the one commonality. And... Basically, like a commander deck, if you pick the right commander, you can be very like you can still change the deck up and keep it true to the same kind of identity, um, but still keep it fresh. Now, which deck becomes more difficult? Um, my favorite deck these days has been my Prosper Tome Down Tome Bound Commander mm. deck, and I think that one's a lot of fun to play. So it might it might just be that one. Yeah, otherwise it would probably be Modern or Pioneer Spirits and I would just like keep the one that I have and you know, update as needed. So, Spurlo asks, Watsi has requested you to nominate a new color <laughs> to be added to Magic. What color would you add and what would the identity yeah. What color would you add and what would be the identity of that color? We should preface this by saying this would probably be wrong to do. I, I can't see the game actually surviving such a change, but this is really funny. <laughs> uh, what would you yeah. go with? Um, uh, so I was thinking about this and trying to think through the color wheel because basically today we have black and white and then we have red, blue, and green instead of yellow for some reason. I guess because yellow and white were too similar. But if mm-hmm. you're looking at a color wheel, like the primary colors and everything, it would have made sense for that to be yellow instead of green. Mm-hmm. That said, um, the multicolor pairs kind of well encapsulate like purple or orange or like other you know other combinations of colors in between there. Yeah. So I didn't feel like orange or purple would make much impact or make much sense. But then where do you go from there? Like what other colors would you have? So the thing is, some of these colors have already been wrapped into other existing things right. like black and purple overlap a lot of black arts involve purple like think swamps uh same with orange how it gets folded into red and yellow kind of gets folded into white yeah <laughs> so you could go with something really off the wall and go with like a like a teal green or something like that or uh yeah i don't know i i think i would probably go with yellow if i was truly to introduce a new one i think that could be the most distinct and like the thing is there's not a lot of existing notions that don't fall under one of the five colors or colorless for that matter yeah i think that's probably where i would go to be honest with you i would just make colorless like an actual color in the game it kind of is already though right like devoid of stuff sort of but then like but they did that for one set (laughs) yeah (laughs) What, what would the identity of something like yellow be like what identity is left to claim. Well, that's where I think colorless has room to be a real color. Cause you can just like, like how does someone tap into the multiverse magic when they can't tap into mana? 
Hmm. That's true. Like I mean, Eldrazi do it somehow. Right. Yeah, I think exploring that more would make the most sense because the other the other areas seem to capture at least the identities of their colors. And then again, I feel like any other colors we would really want to add, unless they were like, you know, neon pink or something, are kind of already covered okay. by like overlaps between the colors. That gives me an idea. Uh, yellow and it's it's the identity is just annoying like annoyingly happy <laughs> just, <laughs> just like loud. way Very too loud yeah, loud in your face just way too <laughs> over the top yeah it's like an uncolor basically yeah but isn't is that not just five color yeah maybe a little bit what like tom bombadil like, is that what you're thinking of um yeah just like name one five color card that's boring like totally boring and not kind of trying to do something. Oh, that's true. But I'm saying yellow would be like, like no one likes them. Like it's over the top bubbly. I don't know. Mm. Maybe there's nothing here. (laughs) No, I I can kind of see it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there, there isn't a whole lot of space for this. I think for me personally, if they were to do this on a, on an area that I think could actually work, it would be to explore colorless more and make that more of a pushed theme within the multiverse as a whole and not just something that happened in battle for Zendikar. Hmm. All right. So our next question also comes from Spurlow and Spurlow asks you win an MTG tournament and the prize is a position at Watsi of your own design. What role would you create for yourself? Trick question. Neither of us win next. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would create, I actually would create the role of not making stupid decisions and actually caring about (laughs) customers. Ooh, Which I wow. guess actually isn't Shots a Watsi. Fired. I suppose though that that may not be a Watsi position. That may be more of a Hasbro position. But yeah. If I can make any role I want, then that role is going to have power to to veto decisions that Hasbro makes in favor of customers when they are just looking at dollar signs. Yeah, something like a like gamer liaison. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but with real power. Yeah, that, that, that'll never happen. I would probably go with, <laughs> um, hmm, I would go with Arena Cube Curator uh, because mm. the Arena Cubes, <laughs> my first order of business would be to cleanse the cubes <laughs> of alchemy cards. Spread uh, the truth, Ben. Spread the truth. Yeah, I, I think there's room for a pretty great cube environment on Arena, but we haven't had Arena Cube up in a long time. I guess there's been a lot of other stuff to do instead, so timeless and uh what are like uh, cons is on right now so we haven't needed it wolf of Panis is a great question for us here if you had the draft chaff qb printed on a on a setting sort of like how godzilla treatment from icoria um what would the setting be and you could pick uh an existing plane or you make it universes beyond or make up a new one uh and we each get to pick one although i actually have a feeling we could agree on on one I want to hear what you have first, but I think I have one that you'll like. Yeah, I think Wolf was also saying like we could do one of each if we have the time or if we're up for oh, oh I thought he meant like and universes beyond and yeah. I thought he meant like one. one for each of the two of us. So maybe, maybe I'll let, let me let me say that again. You can pick from existing planes, universes beyond, or make up an entirely new thing. Uh, I think we could yeah we could do one of each. I, I actually have a great universes beyond for this that I don't think you'll be opposed to. Sure. Avatar. Just yeah, that's Atlas is my, my first thought as well. Avatar easy slam. Uh, I, I think we need to make some adjustments. 
for example, the the draft shaft cube has the spiders vector, and to my knowledge, there there weren't any spiders present in the Avatar universe, were there? There's Ko, no. who's kind of spider-like. Ko's more millipede-esque, though. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. We, we, we could we could massage that one. Maybe that would just become like a spirits archetype. Um, mm-hmm. Like it would become like spirits art. I think uh, the free casting spells would be perfect for like avatar state bending, uh, mm-hmm. where you're doing over the top ridiculous stuff. All the big spells would be templated. Like I don't know when when Ang goes koi fish mode or uh, when when I don't know. You, you can come up with a whole bunch of different ones, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that would also work out well for some of our like green white infinites because there's a lot of like soldiers and, and bossing say has a lot of people mm-hmm. <laughs> you could, you could do yeah, something you could like also, that. I was thinking Atla, but it could just be avatar like all of it. So you include legend of Korra, you include all the comics oh, yeah. and like any yeah, of the yeah. different bits. So that would give you like Kuvira and stuff like that, which would also work with some of the black green overlaps. I think not, not yeah, from, that's true. from the spider's perspective, but is Kuvira mono black? Side question. Yeah, she's pretty close. If she's not blue, black, green, she's pretty close to blue to mono black. I think uh, she could be black green, but she's a metal bender. Like black can can use artifacts. I could see her being yeah. maybe the only mono black, like human in Avatar. Maybe like what the, would you the, give Zaheer? Oh man, no, he's black white. Zaheer has, Zaheer has noble white? elements. Maybe even Mardu. I was thinking, I was thinking he had white, uh, blue in his color identity. But maybe yeah, I'm just assigning blue too hard to like the Air Nomad kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think he's pensive, but also he sought power in a pretty white way. You know, he, yeah, I'm he, just he, thinking about like card design from him. Maybe black white would make the most sense. I think he'd be some sort of black white ninja. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, hard to say. Uh, let us know in, in Discord what, what you think. Uh, how about from existing planes? If we had to like retemplate the cube to exist entirely on one plane, like art wise. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Mm. I'd probably go with Ikoria. I, I just love the art uh, and stuff that comes with it, or Dominaria, just because it contains so much. Yeah, I was thinking Dominaria might make the most sense, just from the the kind of wide breadth of archetypes that our cube covers but i don't necessarily know how easily we would make the enrage thing fit with dominaria art hmm yeah that's so true. Ikoria might make more sense there because you can kind of make that fit and there's big spells and stuff uh but you know innistrad would also be a pretty tempting home if not for the enrage thing not a lot yeah. of stuff gets enraged besides ghosts on in zombies well on you could innistrad. do it with like werewolves oh yeah that's true yeah, I guess they, they get enraged pretty easily. Yeah, I, get, I could see that making sense. There's also like, it's not necessarily a thing in this lore, but well, no, yeah, I, I think I could work just with, with werewolves on Innistrad. may not be like the closest or like cleanest fit, but mm-hmm. next up, another question from Spurlo. Spurlo asks, how do you define, sorry, let me redo that. Next up, another question from Spurlow who asks, how do you determine whether someone is seeking positive reinforcement or constructive feedback regarding a deck build? Ooh, great question. I usually try to respond if someone has like offered up a deck and is sort of like asking for advice. 
I find it's usually best to respond not assuming either, if, if that's possible, uh, to, I, I guess, sort of like go in neutral and think like, okay. Perhaps Berlo meant constructive, constructive criticism, but constructive feedback and positive reinforcement aren't mutually exclusive. Like you can give constructive feedback that's entirely positive if that happens to be mm-hmm. like right for that situation. And and sometimes it does depend on the context too. I think a lot of I mean this doesn't happen too often in our our Discord. I, I think a lot of people in our in our server are really good about saying like, "Hey, check out this awesome deck I built," <laughs> or being like, right, "Where they're feeling good about it." What do I do here? And it's usually pretty clear. I think that's actually best when people are like forthright about requesting one or the other. Uh, or not saying anything and just being like, look at this. And it has like three pieces of power and a vintage cube deck. And you're like, whoa, this looks nuts. Um, that way you don't really have to do any of the guesswork. Uh, I think maybe if it's in person, it's easier because you can kind of just pick up on the vibe. But uh, online, it can be a little difficult. I guess I would always say whether I was looking for one or the other. Um so, so that way it kind of removes the guesswork because I think I, I know the, this kind of question that Spurl is asking. It does, it is awkward when like, you know, someone doesn't respond well to your comments on their deck. Sure. I think, so taking this kind of away from magic for a second, when someone comes to me and like clearly has something they need to talk about, I almost always, and I, I'm not perfect at this, but I try really hard to always ask do you need to vent or do you like, do you just need someone to listen or are you looking for advice? And that kind of sets my, gets my mindset right for the conversation that's about to happen. Um, I think you can do something similar with deck building. Although I feel like positive reinforcement, typically people don't need as much. Like they'll, people are generally pretty happy to celebrate when they know they did something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like telling them more, Hey, wow, that's a great deck. You, you definitely found your lane or whatever. Usually not very awkward to say. Yeah. I think the awkward part comes when it's like someone just says, man, when O three thought this deck was good and leaves it at that. Mm-hmm. Then, it, then I would, you know, you could even just come in and say, Oh man, you know, like it always feels bad to go O three. Do you want advice on how, how I would have built this or, and then if they don't, they can say they don't and you can just move on and that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I tend to err on the side of not <laughs> offending someone's deck building strategy. So if someone does post like, man, look at this 03, I thought it was great. I'll usually try to pick out the reason that they thought it was great and compliment that. Um, you know, it, it, like if yeah, they clearly had like a vector, like maybe maybe they drafted like a good blue-white tappers deck in in wilds, right? And you're like, oh. You know, like I can clearly see why you thought this deck would be good. You did the thing that they thought P- people rarely. I don't think a lot of people would post like a total garbage pile and be like, man, I thought this deck could be good. <laughs> we have some pretty talented people in our in our servers. So no, uh, but a new player might. And that's reasonable. Like that's that's yeah, that's true. kind of to be expected. Then if, if let's say that happens, because this is now like. The, the most corner case, which I don't think comes up very often, but a new player posts a garbage pile and they say, man, I'm disappointed. I thought this deck was good. Then maybe the teacher in me uh, says, maybe you could ask like, oh, what was the deck trying to do? Or um, like, how did you see it playing out? Or like, what was uh, maybe trying to, to get into their head a little more about what they thought the deck was capable of, like what its vector was, I guess. 
Uh, sure, but if they're not open to like, oh, I guess, yeah, you could use that as a way to compliment. I could see though, like if someone posted when O3 thought this deck was really good, don't know what I did wrong. Or maybe, maybe that even invites constructive feedback. If they just said when mm-hmm. O3 thought this deck was good. And then you ask like what kind of along those lines of thinking, I could see someone getting defensive off the bat, not realizing that you were going, you were fishing for something to compliment them on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good yeah, again. That's where I would just kind of say, like, are you yeah. looking for? Do you want help, or like, do you want me to break this down and why maybe it didn't perform that well, or do you want, mm-hmm. or tell me why you got into like what what led you down this road, kind of thing, if you're looking for help. But sometimes people just want to post something to grieve, like, or <laughs> yeah. maybe grieve is a little bit of a strong word here, but like, just to say, like, ah, man, you know, this was this was bad. Yeah, leave it at that. Could always offer to like take a look at the 17 lands draft or gameplay files too. Ratafi's got a good one for us here. What's the worst piece of advice you could think of for a new drafter? Take the first card you see and don't look at any others. <laughs> I, uh, I I certainly did a couple drafts like that in my in my early drafting. Uh, I would say bigger equals better. The, the higher casting cost, the better mm. the card. <laughs> yeah, or the higher power and toughness, the better the card. Yeah, uh, you should only play the biggest possible threats because those are the best possible threats. Right, and, they and cost I, a lot for a reason. These are both uh, both worst pieces of advice because they're both like kind of there's a hint of truth in both of them. Like big, big power and big mana cost cards are usually better than one mana cards. Uh, you There is value in taking your first pick and then playing it eventually. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But I'm saying like you open a pack, even in paper, let's say, or on arena or whatever. And on arena, you look at the top left corner of the, of the page. You look at nothing else and you just select that card without thinking about context of the set of the pack. You don't look at what you're passing anything at all. <laughs> here's a, here's a the worst piece of advice. Uh, take the one on the bottom, right? <laughs> and do that for every, forget <laughs> sure, the top well, left. I guess That's in, too complicated. In a, on arena, top left. Yeah. Bottom right would make more sense in paper. If you just take the first pack card, you, you look at, you're taking a common. <laughs> You get like the land slot out of every pack. Right. (laughs) Lands are important. Take the land. Yeah. 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 Always never pass a land. (laughs) So Sirkovitz asks, what is your biggest gameplay weakness in magic? Who man, this is a, this is one that I've known for a long time, but it's that I don't pump the bricks very well. I am a big fan of attacking and, and asserting, uh, because that's just kind of the way I like to play. But then sometimes I will have drafted a deck that is not an assertive vector. It's a reactive vector, but I'll still want to push through for damage even when the vector would not want me to or would point towards holding back and leaving back a blocker. Uh, I've lost games to to maybe silly choices that I shouldn't have made otherwise because I just... I was playing cons recently and uh, I full swung with my board of goblin slide tokens. I was playing a pretty, pretty sweet Jess guy goblin slide deck. I had like six tokens. I attacked with all of them and uh, my opponent on their end step tapped down one of my creatures and then uh, one of the, like some like two, two that I left back and then attacked for lethal. And if I just left back one token, like I wasn't swinging for lethal. They were at like 15. I was just getting in for a chunk. If I just left back one token, I could have chumped and then restabilized and it all would have been fine. Like I, I, w- I would have been perfectly fine. Uh, but I just, I was like, all right, goblins in. <laughs> uh, when, when the Jeskai vector, it, it's pretty cool. It's like a more 
chunky tempo plan, you can easily play through the late game with it um, and, and develop a board and mess with their board and bounce their stuff and tap it down and ice it down. Uh, I just wasn't patient. So I think this is probably my biggest weakness. It's also a strength to recognize this because it means that like in Constructed, I, I play a lot of like mono red and, and white red and, and beat down oriented decks because I know that I can uh, pilot those pretty effectively. Uh, but I guess in Limited where, you know, it's it's more varied, that, you know, comes back to bite me sometimes. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to you were gonna start off your answer to this question with, man, that's a tough question. I was going to roast you for not having any weakness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I simply have none. No, I, I certainly do. Um, you and that's, other, that's just pretty good response gameplay. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. I mean, not that, that, that doesn't even get into the drafting part of the, or of the equation deck building or any other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Oh, I don't have any. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I, I saw it coming. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Of course. Um, mine is uh, it, immediately. The first thing that came to mind was reading opponents plays. Hmm. It's, uh, I find myself very often getting into, and may, it may just be like a laziness thing. It may be like my brain is generally overworked at work. So I don't want to think when I'm playing games anymore. I just find that I tend to not really process through what my opponent could be doing mm-hmm. or like take the time to memorize certain tricks or cards that they could have. It's so like, I'm always impressed when I watch Ben stream where he's like, Oh, that's this card. Like they're telegraphing this card. And I'm just like, I would not have thought to even stop well, and think about that. Um, well, you're usually right. So that's the impressive <laughs> part. You could just say that whenever you wanted and it wouldn't matter. But when I think um, about it, maybe I don't have any gameplay weakness. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I've accidentally After hearing you, maybe, maybe, uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's probably that. And that's one that's fixable. I just need to like think more <laughs> when I play the game, but uh, sometimes thinking is difficult and memorizing cards and keeping track of what they could have and what they couldn't can be tough. Tough. Mm-hmm. Ratafi asks, Wizards decides to pick a real life period in history to make a magic set about. What are the worst and best choices they can make? He also notes that uh, George Washington could probably get his own legendary card. Uh, that'd be pretty good. I think he'd... All right, well, he'd obviously be red, white, and blue, right? Even even yeah. like color identity <laughs> aside, I don't think there's another possible option. Uh, no, he'd have to. He'd have to have that. <laughs> I, I actually have a suggestion for both worst and best. It's one. One is both. Uh, one single time period, and that's the Precambrian era. It's all just like trilobites and like little amoebas. <laughs> just <laughs> no. Everything is aquatic. There's not a single yeah. mammal in sight. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like I'm talking just like we're just barely touching like <laughs> like everything's like a single-celled organism and then like the chase mythic is like a multi-celled organism <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's the first two-celled organism yeah yeah uh that would be obviously the worst because how could you possibly make gameplay about that it, it just wouldn't line up with the flavor at all it would also be best because it would be so funny it would be really funny that would have I to slam be unset, primordial though, right? e coli <laughs> that would have to be, be an unset yeah well, I don't even think it would. I think this would just be an awful regular <laughs> set. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Um, I did have one come to mind for both. Not not one for both, but I had a worst and a best come to mind. The worst, I think, would be like 1942 to 45, you know, like the Ooh. peak of World War II. Yeah. Because there's a lot of cultural stuff they'd have to dance around to not piss somebody off 
they have to represent people like Hitler <laughs> effectively, which would could get really all sorts of messy. You're right. You did find the worst possible. <laughs> Besides um, like actual slavery era. I, I can't think of anything else that would have been worse. But like and then like how do you how do you represent like mass genocide on a card and not piss people off or seem I, I don't think you do. Like, I think that's the right? correct you answer. You just don't. You just don't. Yeah. Um so yeah, there is all that's there's a whole lot there that would make that just the absolute worst, uh, and I don't think I can see them ever making that a good, set, no. like having that be a good a good thing. The best choice I could think of was the second industrial revolution that happens like at the end of the 1800s, hmm. uh, where uh, you would get think like you could get you would get uh, characters like James Watt who like helped in, improve or like invent the steam engine, someone yeah. like Michael Faraday or Sam Morse or uh, Alexander Graham Bell, like all these big inventors cool. I think would be really fun. You would be able to get kind of the, is it like steampunky electricity kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And then there, that's also a period where there was a lot of like good writing coming out. So more along maybe the blue slash white kind of color spectrum, you'd get some of that. The green are like the naturalists that reject the, uh, the, the these improvements in technology. Yeah, you could get some of that in there. I think there's also like a lot of like profiteering going on at that time. So that would fit into black pretty well, I think. Um, yeah. And you'd get vehicles. So you get cool like card type changes and things like that. I don't know. I think it could be like the Model cool. T. <laughs> yeah. Steamboats and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Spurlow asks, would you rather be lucky or good? Both. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good. No, the answer is good because secretly the answer to uh, being good is being lucky. I talked about this on a previous episode. I don't remember which one because it wasn't actually part of the episode topic, but Mm. uh, I've talked about this idea of like increasing your surface area for luck as luck isn't something that like... Yeah, some luck is actually something you can like seek to attain rather than just like this random thing that happens to you. And mm-hmm. being good increases your surface area for luck to stick to. So there you go. But now are these mutually exclusive? You can either be good or lucky, but you can't be good and have a little bit of luck too. I'd still rather be good and completely unlucky, I think. Oh, would I? <laughs> As I said that out loud, I was like, wait, would I? Yeah, would you? Um, there was actually... So, yeah. Good. Good. Well, there was a. It was it was an old. It was actually Brandon Sanderson. He wrote this uh, series of children's novels. Um, it was like superhero powered stuff, and uh, one of the characters, his superpower is that he's late to everything. So in a way, I, I see that as similar to like being a little unlucky. It's the same sort of like like field that we're working with, uh, but because of that, he's like late to his own death. He's late to bullets that are about mm. to hit him. He's late to, you know, meetings. <laughs> but uh, I, I see lucky if, if we're going to go with one or the other. If you are permanently lucky. Yeah, like Domino from from the Marvel uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, if you were lucky, th- that's basically a superpower. If you're going full, full yeah. on lucky all the time. Uh, I see that as an equivalent superpower. That'd be pretty busted. Uh <laughs> Of course, we've left the realm of magic entirely now. I, I think if we're just talking about magic, I'd rather be good. 
Right. Yeah. That's, that was where I was thinking, like from a skills perspective, I'd rather just be good and be able to rely on my skills than rely on something as fickle as luck. If you're telling me that I am just like, like I, the way you were describing that scenario also keep brought to mind, um, Harry Potter and which one was it? The half blood prince where he like drinks a, a serum that gives him like super luck basically. Hmm. And he just like does a bunch of stuff that ends up making what he wanted to happen, happen, even if it didn't seem like it made any sense for him to be doing those things at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, luck to its extreme like that. Good luck can just be, yeah, an absolute superpower. So in, in a, in, I think applied to that extreme, I would rather be lucky, but in the context of something that's skill-based like magic, I would rather be good than, and have the occasional bit of unluck than otherwise. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. I think we've asked a lot of questions. Uh, any that, that were asked that were not addressed here, you can expect to hear them as our listener question of the week in the, uh, in the next month or so. Dorgan asks, what are you most looking forward to magic wise in 2024? And what are you most looking forward to non magic wise? What do you think? Oh, magic wise is difficult because I can't really remember what all is happening next month, next year. <laughs> There's just too much. And I, yeah, I haven't kept track of it, but I will say, uh, I think the, the, the Western set is coming out next year. I think so. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe yeah. that one's not, I don't well, know. <laughs> well, if that one's coming out next year, it's that one. Uh, I'm yeah. very curious to see what they'll actually do with it. Given that we've been waiting for it for so long. Otherwise, I mean, getting into like a fourth year of the show will be fun. Um, yeah. Which is magic related. I would say magic wise, just again, can, can keeping up with the show. Um, we've had a blast doing it. We still are. And uh, I, I would say, I'm not going to say anything about it yet, but we have a big thing potentially planned for the summer that could come together if it, Hopefully it does. Yeah, if it does, uh, that would be pretty fun. Yeah. If it does, it would be the highlight of the year. And uh, hopefully a lot of the listeners will get to enjoy it. I, we'll see. We'll see if it comes together or not. Uh, but it would be really cool if it does. Uh, non, Non-magic-wise, hmm, I don't have a ton of big stuff coming up next year. Uh, just getting another year of teaching under the belt is always good. Uh, every year that you do it, you, you polish a little more and, and you feel a bit better about how everything goes. So, uh, I guess I'm looking forward to summer break already. Does that count? Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess for sure. I think that's, you know, that's something you can look forward to. Yeah. Um, for me, non-magic wise, I think it's probably travel. I'm starting off the year with a trip to Canada and then have at least one or two other trips I think expected next year that are probably both going to be out of the country. And then I hope to have a few like in country sprinkled ones. Sweet. Um, so yeah, I would say it's probably that. All right. Well, of course we're not going to do a listener question of the week this week because this whole episode was <laughs> listener questions. So let's jump yeah. into fairy table. We'll wrap it up. And then, uh, we have a bit of an epilogue slash sign off thing for us. So our fairy table, this is a rose and thorn style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, how's it going? It's going. Had a had a pretty good Christmas. Holiday break is is going. No, it's going well. I'm just sitting around doing nothing. Been playing a bunch of a uh, limited, a bunch of constructed. Been uh, playing some red deck wins in standard. Also some black red mid range. Uh, those have been fun. Been playing a lot of timeless. I mentioned that that Orzhov deck that I've been playing. Um, 
so like a hate bears, uh, death and taxes sort of build a lot of fun. Uh, my, my tibble is that I, uh, I'm doing a bunch of like random stuff. I've been putting off, taking my car to the shop, getting a haircut, not to any of the lengths <laughs> aforementioned, but, uh, <laughs> gotta, gotta go do that. Uh, just, just a bunch of like things that have been piling up that I've been putting off for a while. Uh, those, uh, sometimes you just need a week to like sit down and be like, all right, time to, time to do all this stuff. But to add another Teferi, I am actually starting a dock for that big potential summer thing. And the fact that it takes that much planning is, is hopefully a hint to the, to the listener that it's going to be something big, uh, something draft chaff oriented, I will say. No, no, no more than that for now. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. Um, also, for some reason, you describing like bringing up the haircut thing again gave me another another idea that oh man would involve quite a bit of compromise, I think, on both sides and be the definition of halfway happy. Um, Let's hear it. What if we did like a a shaved head on one side and just super long <laughs> on the other side? <laughs> what so like uh like a like a skater like a punk thing going on like yeah, my yeah, length on exactly. one side yours and the actually. <laughs> There are worse haircuts out there. Not many. I think but. so. I think so. But I'd prefer to go with the Oscar Isaac look. I think that's a little bit more put together. Yeah, let's uh, let's stick with that for now. Um, in terms of Teferi Tybalt, though, for me, of course, we already talked about my Tybalt was that I got COVID. And to my knowledge, I had not had it yet. There's a chance I got it like right before it was big in the States because I got really sick that January and then like all the lockdown in the States started in the March in, in March of that year. So it's possible that I had caught it early. Um, cause I was really sick that January. Otherwise I don't, I don't know of any other time I, I had it. Um, so this was my first experience with it. Didn't get anything terrible. really just felt like a mild to bad cold, um, slightly scratchy throat, congested nose and that was pretty much it um so lucked out there but this happened right before leaving for christmas break and me for me break was the weekend um and uh i woke up not feeling great i called both my parents and was like hey i woke up sick do you still want me to come down for christmas Mm -hmm. because i I didn't want to be that guy who just showed up and was like oh by the way (laughs) uh super sick here. Um, they both told me to come down anyway. And my family's kind of spread out right now, um, with like different kids getting married and, you know, moving away and things like that. So it's, um, it was a weird Christmas for us. It was not like the traditional kind of homey Christmas. Um, and maybe, so maybe that fed into like them being okay with me coming down. Um, but then I did give it to my dad, which felt awful. Oh yeah. Um, I wasn't very happy about that, but I guess it is what it is. And he told me I could still come down. So maybe I should have just not done it anyway, but he's, he's fine. He's just similar symptoms to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. That it was a mild case. Yeah, for sure. And like, it didn't lose my sense of smell or taste or anything, which is big. I'm yeah. very happy about that. Uh, the other tibble is that like, I had a bunch of stuff ordered before I left and, um, quite a bit of it got delivered. And when I got back, none of those packages were there. So I'm pretty sure they just got stolen. Yikes. Which sucks. Uh, cause it was not 
insignificant sums of value, <laughs> shall we say. It's like three, almost three hundred dollars worth of stuff that got stolen. So yeah. So what do you do? Just file a claim with like wherever you ordered it from, or? Yeah, I reached out to customer service for one of the companies. Um, just to, like basically just saying like, hey, I got back. I'm pretty sure my stuff got stolen. Is there anything you can do about it? Because I I know they're not responsible. I don't know the policies um, on this at all. Like what happens? Yeah, generally it's just a loss and you have to eat it. Or you file like a police Yikes. report and hope that they catch the person, but which obviously never happens. Yeah, because I don't need, and I don't even think there's security cameras in the area where packages get delivered in my building. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure there aren't. But in any case, um, I reached out anyway, and we'll see where that gets me. Um, basically, the customer service person wrote back and said, "Like, hey, we do see that it was delivered," which I told them it was, uh, but maybe ask around your neighbors. And if you can't find it in the next 24 hours, message us back. Hmm. So it sounds like they're willing to at least do something for me. Maybe they'll give me a coupon and I can like rebuy it at a discount or something. Yeah, that's solid. Um, uh, the other one I'll have to file a claim still. I haven't done that, but yeah, that was just frustrating to come back to. Um, and makes me weary about ordering anything and having it delivered here. I might just get like a UPS uh, you can you can like basically get a PO box through UPS and anybody mm. can deliver to them and they'll like hold packages and stuff for you. Yeah. Um, otherwise, my Teferi was that I was actually able to relax relax this weekend. Like I had two days because my dad doesn't have internet and I was just <laughs> hanging out with him and I was sick. I just like sat in a chair and read for like two days straight. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> nice. It felt great. Yeah, it's the first time in a long time I was okay with myself just not doing anything. So like, yeah. I took advantage of that and haven't had a day where I could do nothing in a long, long time. So that felt really good. Nice. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, do jump into the Discord. Uh, we'd love to see you and chat with you about all the different sets that are out and coming out. Um, Manners... Manor murders of Karlov Manor is probably right around the corner at this point. So the spoilers will uh, start any day. I'm sure. Yeah. They'll be flowing in, in the new year. I, I expect if you like to support, support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Again, huge thanks to everybody who continues to support us and helps us continue doing this. And if you'd like to find us on social media, maybe you're not ready to jump into that discord. You can find us on Twitter at draft pod. Thanks folks. And we'll catch you next week. Wanna, one last thing. We got asked a lot of questions for the listeners. Uh, we got asked a lot of questions by the listeners, so it's only appropriate that we turn back around and uh, and ask them something, right? Yeah, sure. What do you got? Well, uh, what I'm curious to know from the listener is uh, what was the best gift you got this holiday season? And what was the best gift you gave this holiday mm. season? Uh I, I can think of some pretty one, pretty good ones that I got. I even posted a couple on Discord already. And uh, I, I gave some pretty fun ones. Uh, my brother has been getting into beer brewing, uh, like beer and cider brewing. So we got him a big light up like a uh, beer sign, uh, almost like that you'd see like a Budweiser sign you'd see in the bar with his name on it. So uh, he, he got a good kick out of that. <laughs> nice. That's great. What was the best thing you got? Well, to stick with the theme, uh, he made me like a hand wood carved uh, flight rack 
uh, with like mm. a like a handle and everything and like glasses that fit in it and like little chalkboards to write the names of the stuff and uh, along with some of his own homebrews. So not the type of homebrews I'm, I'm used to. Usually <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like green, white, mid-range piles. But, you know, I, I think I'll enjoy these homebrews just as much. 